Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is Leslie Gist, and you're listening to The Gist of Freedom. Um, Tonight we have on the line Mr. William Bill Beasley, playwright, uh, of Harlem 21, playwrights of Harlem 21. Are you on the line, Mr. Beasley? Yes, I am. Great. Um, are, are let's, start off, let's start off by, um, I know you said you have some of the members uh, scheduled to call in, and as they um, call in, I'll let you know. But let us begin well, with you. Oh, okay. Uh, like The lab is going on in the other room, so... Uh, once okay. those po- folks are finished with the particular reading, they might come in. Okay. okay. But if you saw All me, right. So would you explain to the audience what is the lab start there? Okay. What we're doing up here, uh, first, uh, we're, this is like our third year of being around. Uh, it was started by our, our good friend Lawrence Holder, who had the tremendous idea that we needed a new type of uh, playwright group together. And so... He organized a few of us to get kind of get it going, and uh, so what we do is we meet on Friday nights to uh, read and critique each other's plays, uh, provide some positive feedback, and uh, we've also had some productions uh, down in South Street Seaport and also in Roy Areas this past year. So we're you know, trying to develop all the repertoire we. Okay, now you have a, a production coming up this Monday. Tell us about weather that permitting. play. <laughs> Say it weather again. Permitting. If, Sandy, if weather permitting, if Sandy doesn't uh, hold off a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, I have uh, I submitted a play for writing the election, uh, and it's going to be performed at the National Black Theater this Monday, 730 to 1030, at uh, 2031 33th Avenue in New York. It's free, open to the public. And so mine was one of 11 plays selected to uh, be read at that uh, performance. And this is to promote uh, getting involved with the uh, Getting involved uh, in the democratic process. Okay, great. Uh, um, the entire electorate. It, it was not uh, designed to be uh, Republican or Democratic, but you wrote what you wrote and sent it in. <laughs> so it's non- nonpartisan. Okay. Um, now, for people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself formally? Introduce myself? Formally, you know, give us a little bit of your biographical material. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm uh, New York City born, born right, right over in the Brooklyn Navy Yard uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I've lived in the New York area all my life. Uh, I'm currently retired, so I have a little more time to devote to writing among many of the things, ideas I've had in mind all these years. And um, working on a couple of other little projects, and I keep coming up with ideas and keep finding time to write them. 
And name some of the plays that you've had produced. Oh, okay. Well, um, one of the plays I've did, did was uh, Unfinished Business, which is uh, more of a personal play. Um, Lawrence Holder has directed it. Uh, it's been done at uh, New Federal Theater's uh, showcase. Uh, had my play Midnight Fantasy, uh, which was done at the uh, Theater for New City that Lawrence also directed. Uh, Lawrence has been a good supporter, a strong supporter of mine. Uh, my play What a Friend's For uh, was well received there at Roy Arias. It's been done a lot of other times, and uh, we're looking perhaps to do that one again. It's a nice short piece, uh, very yeah, very humorous, and uh, and, and then the Every Boat Counts, that is what, uh, so hopefully will go up on uh, Monday. Okay, well, I but remember you working on... That's just a short list of what's been done. Okay. You know, As you know, Leslie, I have a lot more material <laughs> You sure, you sure do. One of my favorites is about um, Anthony Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about him. I keep working on that. I, I keep working on Anthony Johnson to, to find the right format for that. Um, I'm working on something, a newer approach to go back to how uh, slavery began here in America. Uh I think I've come up with a nice new approach with that, and, and hopefully I can get t- have time to work on that. Okay, what, uh, just give the audience, educate the audience. Who is Anthony Johnson, and why did you decide to even do research on him? Anthony Johnson was the uh, one of the first uh, Negro folks to come over here to the United States back in the uh, 1600s. Uh, at the time, uh, because it was not... Um, chattel slavery, uh, he was able to uh, get his freedom and eventually uh, own his land, uh, own his own slaves. Uh, he's very prominent, uh, you know, in the early part of our country and shows that uh, it wasn't just chattel slavery where we were brought over in chains and made to work, you know, and we had no, no chance of freedom. He got his. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's very and it was called indentureship, wasn't it? An indentureship labor system. It, it, it was indentured servitude at that time. You know, uh, mm-hmm. part of it was that uh, America, the Catholics here in America, they could not enslave other Catholics. And these the folks that were brought over here were from, uh, captured by Portuguese ships, and the Portuguese baptized them. So they had marks that showed that they were baptized, and so they had to be treated as indentured rather than just just property. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, he and what happened to him? Did he lose his freedom? No, he, was he, he, had he was never re-enslaved. He was he was never re-enslaved. Uh, when he when he died, he had his Tony's Vineyard. Uh, in sixteen seventies, when he passed away. Um, in all sense, a successful man. He 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 was able to sue and win cases in courts. Uh, you know, raise his own family, and he's again a very successful man. And well, since you told me that story, I went out and did some research, and I have a documentary on my YouTube channel about him. And um, I hope you and the audience will take time to check it out under uh, YouTube. 
the gist of freedom. That's G I S T O F F R E E D O M. Or Leslie L E S L E Y. The letter N. The letter U. And then tube. So um, it's a very interesting story. It needs to be told, and it talks about how um, the indentureship made a transition to chattel slavery. So that's a great play. I'm looking forward to seeing that one being produced. Any other yeah, historical plays are you working on? Um, <laughs> it's not so much just historical right now, but it's um, mm-hmm. I'm working on a piece for uh, a good friend of mine who wants to perform it uh, called about Kurt Flood. So it's going to be a musical, and it's basically finished. <laughs> and so that, that's one of the things I'm working on. I, and who was he? Can you give us a little synopsis? Oh, well, Kurt Flood was the played for the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, decided that uh, when they traded him to Philadelphia, he decided that he was didn't want to go, and so he decided to sue baseball over their reserve clause, which bound a player to a club forever. And so it's about about his struggle in his case. Well, my, my, I'm emphasizing what made him decide to do it, as opposed to his whole life story. I wrote that part as well, but I'm condensing it down to just cover that part of his life. Mm-hmm. And let's get back to this election. Uh, play. What inspired you to write this play? Uh, you know, it's a competition, and mm-hmm. I just, you know, the idea came to me of the particular two characters because uh, uh, they wanted you to uh, explain, uh, show the difficulty of why people don't go out to vote, and <laughs> here in New York, so I came up with a bunch of different little reasons to put in there, and. You know, and trying to have this one character convince the other why they should go and vote. You know, no, I thought it was a nice and interesting, amusing way I did it. Did you ever see any play? Have you ever uh, uh, been a part of a a political play similar to the one that you just read? No. No, okay. Yeah, I've never, um, I don't remember seeing any really political plays. I guess this is our first black president, so we haven't had a chance to to uh, write anything about it. I know there's comedies and movies about a black president in elections, but um, nothing serious. So this is this is something I'm looking forward to going to, like you said, weather permitting. Um, how is your crew doing in the lab? Is anyone ready to come and join us? Uh, I have to go see what, where they are. They, they, yeah, they were reading a scene from one of Tom Mitchison's plays. Uh, it looks like they're uh, we're in a review part. Uh, okay. Who is Tom Mitchison? Tom Mitchison is one of the playwrights and also uh, also on the executive committee like I am of Hall of Playwrights 21. Okay. And, All right. Mm-hmm. And let's see if we can get someone. Uh, in fact, we've got Tom coming right now. Okay. This is what Leslie is. Leslie, here's Tom. Hi, Tom. Hey, How are you doing? Well, I see you guys are working hard at the lab, bouncing great ideas off of one another. Yes, that, that's what we try to do every uh, every week. 
we try to uh, bring in new material and we bounce ideas off one another. Wonderful. Tell us about B. I I saw the reading of B, and I think it's fascinating. Tell us a little bit about B. All right. uh, Just to give some background, B uh, is uh, a a play about a woman, uh, Beatrice Holloway, and it takes place in the South, and in 1942, she's 14 years old, and she is raped. And her mother is also raped at the same time. And her mother was six months pregnant. And her mother dies as a result. Uh, B survives. Uh, she has a, a baby as a result of this uh, rape. And she takes the baby down to the river, and she uh, drowns it. And she takes on multiple personalities, the multiple personalities being her mother, who is dead, and her unborn sister. And uh, they're trying to find some healing for Beatrice, and they're doing this by luring young men to a a secluded shack, and they are killing these people. So it's it's a murder mystery about a serial killer. It's also about the issue of rape how this one individual person deals with uh, rape. It's not the only solution, but it's it's one. And um, it's a very interesting, it's a complex piece for the actor, uh, in this case it's Angela Rostick, because she has to play all three of these uh, personalities. So she plays Beatrice Holloway, she plays the unborn child, Gussie B, and she also plays her mother, uh, Johnny May Merriweather. So wow. that's she a, did an excellent job. Thank you, and, oh. and you got a chance to see the reading of it at uh, Sisters Uptown Bookstore a couple of months oh. back. And it was jam packed, right? It was jam packed. It was jam packed. So what we're in the process of doing now is taking the script and we've adapted it. Uh, to make an, a radio play, an audio drama, which is what it's called now, uh, complete with the, uh, the actors doing their parts, and we're going to add on music and sound effects. So we're in the studio uh, now. We're about to wrap it up. I thought it was going to be done uh, by the beginning of this month, but my sound person, you know, theater is, is sometimes the most frustrating thing with theater is that you – you latch on to someone and then they get busy doing other projects, so you have to wait until they get free. So that's right. that's what's happened to us. But but uh, we're back on track and we sh- should have it done uh, in the next week or so. And you're going to have it first broadcasted where? Well, I'd like to uh, I'd like to broadcast it with you to see how that's right. See how the, <laughs> the audience <laughs> feeds back. So, uh, yeah, as soon as it's done, I will call you on the phone, and we'll make that happen. And I know you work we'll with make... GAI, right? Yes. Uh, my uh, engineer, his name is David Wright, my sound person, uh, he worked with WBAI uh, for many, many years. Uh, I used to work at WBAI. Uh, I was a, a radio announcer. I had two, three shows. I had a uh, montage was one show. The one that some folks may remember is the Gut Bucket Matinee that I used to uh, co-host with uh, Jasper Magruder, and that was a blues show. 
And uh, during my time there, I, I got interested in uh, radio drama and uh, got together with the uh, audio drama people there, and we had a series that ran a total of 18 hours. It was a, it was a one, one hour, it was 18 consecutive weeks, and it was this long story of this young boy, Mike Pierre, and all the uh, the adventures and you know ups and downs in his life as a teenager up till he's about twenty something years old. So that's when I really became interested in in radio drama and just the idea that you know you can't see it, so you have to really listen. And, and we bring in as many sound effects as possible. And it's really a it's really a great experience. So your listeners uh, are going to be in for a treat when we finally well, uh, air it. I can't wait, and that's something that I want to include as a regular. Um, you know, I want you guys on board as a, oh, as, yeah. a, oh, yeah. as a regular show. Oh, yeah. And you should be able to have um, access to archives to to uh, bring Tom Pierre. I think you mentioned Pierre. Yeah, character. I would love yeah, to have Mike, him to have that material. Oh yeah, that's that's one of the things we're we're trying to do now. Uh, March of uh, next year will be two years old, so mm-hmm. we're trying to uh, keep track of all of the uh, readings that we have done. We had a, a series that was called Five by Five, where we had five of our uh, playwrights in a festival at the Roy Arias Theater. Uh that was in that was right after our first year of existence and everybody said, Wow, you know, you guys did that and you guys are only one year old and we're going to do it again. We're looking at doing something probably in February or, or maybe March. We've brought in some new uh some new playwrights. Henry Miller is on board with us. Uh Rudy Gray is on board with us. Uh, William Cuthbert is on board with us, and we brought in some new actors that have come in, you know, female actors. And uh, so the group has changed, and at the same time, it's it's grown. So we're we're moving towards being a repertory company where we can use our own pieces that we've written and use the actors that come to our workshops every week. So, uh, you know, we... We uh, we collect dues and uh, we look at us being like a family unit, and we operate with that in mind. We operate with that in mind. So it's it's so been, it's been you guys it's, are it's taking a the Harlem Renaissance. It sounds like you're taking uh, Harlem Renaissance into the um, cyber world. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know what I what I've found out in in the short time that that I've been uh, with this group is at the end of the day, everybody wants to have your work produced. You know, as a as a playwright, you know, you, you go through all of these uh, pains to get a final product. You know, for example, B uh, took, it took, it took a year of, uh, you know, rewriting and rewriting and, you know, listening to critiquing and missing that and missing that. So at the end of the day, you want to see it up on stage, and then reality comes in when it costs money. You know, you have to have a producer, or you have to uh, have, you know, maybe $5,000 or $10,000 laying around 
and everybody doesn't have that, myself included. So uh, I remembered uh, what we did at WBAI, and this was back in the back in the nineties. And I said, you know, there's more ways to get your work out there. So mm-hmm. this way, with with audio drama, and I'm and I'm pushing it with Harlem Playwrights 21. Uh, there's a different way to get your play out there, and it's it's definitely a lot more economical. So you know, it's one way to keep to keep your to keep interest in your play until maybe somebody hears your play and says, "Oh man, you know, I'd like to see that up on stage." So things happen like that. So right, I'm, I'm right, and I I want to be on board with you guys. I I really want to push it. I think we could reach um, a very large audience. Classrooms, yeah. you know, things of that nature. So, um, yes, yes. Um, I'm encouraged. Is there anyone else you want us to talk to before we close the show? Uh, yeah, Charles Charles White is here. You know, we started, uh, like I said, almost two years ago and with Lawrence Holder and Bill Beasley and Charles White is getting ready to come to the phone and myself. And mm-hmm. uh, we were under the you know, Lawrence Holder was our mentor, and he was with NEC, and that workshop came to an end, and we started this workshop. And now Lawrence is our uh, godfather slash uh, artistic director, and uh, we continue. <laughs> we 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 stay in touch with him on the telephone, uh, and he, as a matter of fact, I was hoping that he was going to be able to make it with us tonight, but maybe not. But but no, uh, we're talking about Lawrence. But as I speak, uh, Charles White, uh, one of the original founding members, has just walked in. So I'm going to sign off. Uh, I'm going to sign off, and as soon as I get everything uh, straight, we'll be talking again. All right, Mr. Mitchell, before you go, could you ask um, Bill Beasley to call Lawrence on the phone and have him call the show? If he could possibly do that. <laughs> Oh sure, absolutely, okay. absolutely. All right, I'll thanks. do that. All right, okay, thanks here's so Charles. Much. Yeah. Hello, Hello, Mr. White. Hi, yeah, Mr. Charles White. How are you? Great, great. Good. How are you? Um, I'm all right. We met in person for the first time um, at B. Smith. Would you I tell remember, the audience? I remember. Yeah. Right. At the Black tell Theater the, Network event. Yes. Right. Uh, give the, the audience the background of the Black Theater Network and. And you know whatever you know about that in, in that specific event. Let's see. I, I don't know too much about that. The um, I went because the, it was they were basically it was the induction of the new president, a uh, gentleman named Michael Dinwiddie, who was a playwright and a theater professor at NYU, and he's actually my writing instructor. And that was what actually drew me there, just to give him that support. And, in fact, um, our group here, Harlem Playwrights 21, has joined Black Theater Network. But I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how long the group's been in existence, but it, it, it essentially puts together workshops and works at the uh, support of Black Theater, which, as you probably know, has got some financial difficulties now. I think artistically, Black Theater's great. Uh, financially, there are definitely issues. Okay. All right. So, essentially, and, support um, organization. Well, uh, Harlem writers know who you are, and a, a lot of people are, are your fans. But could you just give us your bio so people know um, more about you? Okay, I can do that. I am uh, I am actually a lawyer by training, 
And mm-hmm. I took a long hiatus from writing. I wrote in college. In college, I was in a creative writing program and wrote not that much drama or theater, but most mostly short stories and beginnings of a novel. And then when I graduated, um, let's just say I, I got no support for the writing. I, th- I think my parents' idea was, you know, writing. Are you kidding me? I didn't say you college that. You better be a doctor or a lawyer or you'll starve to death. Mm-hmm. And not having the courage of my convictions, I said, okay, I'll go to law school, but that'll just be a backup career, and I'll really spend my life writing. Well, as it turned out, I went to law school, took a lawyer's job, and didn't write anything for 30 years. Ooh. And then some... Now, all this time I had been an avid theater fan and reader and theater goer, so I had a lot of friends in theater, and they kept telling me, you know you want to write, you know you want to write. So a friend of mine said, why don't you take this Lawrence Holder's writing course at New Federal Theater and just to see how it goes. And so I said, okay, I figured I'd just go once, it would be interesting, and I'd go back to my legal career. Well, I did that, and something caught hold, and I immediately, this is about three or four years ago, I immediately started writing again. I haven't stopped. It, it's just interesting how there's things within you that get suppressed, and all this needed was a little bit of a spark. And I've been, I'm, right. you know, I'm still practicing. I'm still a practicing lawyer, but you know, I I lose a lot of sleep writing at nights. And part of me wonders, like, you know, did I really should I did I really miss my calling? Should I have been um, doing this for 30 years and not practicing law? But you know, but since I have a wife and two kids, I can't have too many regrets about it. Right, right. And now, what are you yeah. working on right now? Um, well, a couple of things. I had a, I had a short play produced um, last year called Succession, which really is sort of a behind-the-scenes look at sort of uh, the, the uh, competition between young and old actors in black theater. And the actors in it uh, told me I really need to make it into a full-length play. So I have been working on the full-length version and I've almost finished a draft. And at our workshop, which meets every Friday, uh, I've, been, I've been getting you know bits and pieces of it read from time to time. But it's just about finished, so I've actually got to put together a reading of the entire thing. Now, and of course, that will just result in another in a rewrite. And hopefully, we can. Hopefully, that will be a quality piece at some point, and I can get the full length produced. Wow. Um, and as far as uh, working with Mr. Holder and all these other writers, what can you, what advice would you give to someone like yourself that you know has put their dream of writing on the back burner and well, have an opportunity to meet people like Mr. Holder? Yeah, it, it's funny. I, it's tremendous how inspirational they can be because they just say, "Listen, you've got." They, they just tell you, "Write. You have the ability to do it. Just do it." even if it's 10 minutes a day. And I think you really need somebody like Lawrence Holder who has really been doing it all his life to tell you that just write. You've got you've got stories inside you. you. You can work on the craft. You know, just take the time and do it. And I have it. Again, it, it does like my day. It's funny how, you know, I'll, I'll work a full day, and a lawyer's day is pretty long. Like sometimes I'm at work till like 8 or 9 o'clock. But I'll come home, I'll grab something to eat, and I'll say, okay, I'm just going to write for half an hour. And the next thing I know, three hours have gone by. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I've got to get up at 6 or 7. I'm saying, <laughs> how did this happen? But nonetheless, it's still, you get a real feeling of satisfaction of, of just uh, getting the writing out on paper, even when, even when it isn't exactly what you want it to be. I, if, if it's really in you, you do get satisfaction from doing it. 
Uh, and again, my, uh, my real advice is, you know, listen, listen to the Lawrence Hall people. Just listen to them. You can learn, and they're they're willing to help, and they 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 will take time with you. Well, we're looking forward to having you guys read on my show. We want to hear your readings. How no, comfortable absolutely. are you? You're comfortable with reading, having your 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 plays read on over the air. Oh yeah. Well, well, that being the case, we'd obviously want to have it rehearsed a couple of times so that you have a quality show. Um, like the read the reading we do we do here in our workshop is actually for the most part it's a cold reading. Maybe actors have never seen it before, so it can be kind of rough. But the idea is just for the writer to hear it and to get some ideas. If we're going to reading on your show, we'd want to rehearse so the actors would be familiar, so that so that you can produce a quality show as opposed to the workshop that we uh, do here every Friday. But no, absolutely, absolutely, we do that. Well, I think it would be something like a reality show. So I would like this to get the role. The uh, the raw footage of, of listening in. Um, oh, you'd like to just have I, the cold have the cold reading on the show? Yes, just be an air. Right, we, we can do that. You know, really, I think the writers might be more comfortable with that than the actors. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I'd say we could do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm no. excited about it. You know, I've been waiting no, we, we, since we, August. We could, we could do. We could. I mean, the actors will want to. They want to. They're going to want to sound polished and accomplished, so they might have some reservations. But from a writing standpoint, uh, I I won't speak for Bill and Tom, but I think I'd be I'd be comfortable with that. Okay. I, I was well, more concerned um, about your. I was more concerned about your show, but if this kind of thing you want, then it can definitely be arranged. Oh, well, I think if we can generate an audience to listen and chat about it. While you guys are reading, I think it'll, it'll you know, as long as, as long as as it is interactive, I think it could really catch on. That's just my okay. opinion. I've never I've never heard of it being done before that way, but I know I was also in one of his uh, in Holder's classes, and I love listening to, you know, um, uh, people reading and reading their plays and the feedback. You know, Lawrence could be pretty cold hearted when he's. When oh he's yeah. Reading. Definitely. Well, you know, maybe you want to come to a workshop and listen, and then see if that's re- see if that if they think it works for your show. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. Um, yeah, is there it, anyone else? Pretty, he, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. Go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was going to say because it, it can, you know, the debates can get fairly heated at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I guess actually that makes the show more interesting. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, okay. that's reality, you know. Yeah, you're you're right. It's kind of. You, I mean, now I see you talking. You're absolutely right. It would be like a reality show. Mhm. And uh, what are you guys working on right now? Is it calm right now, or is it, uh, you know? Well, we were having, we 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 actually while you were talking to Bill, we read Tom's piece, and Tom's piece was about a uh, really a betrayal, but about two friends, and one friend uh, slept with the other's girlfriend. And and no, it was kind of hot, and and the person who actually betray the betrayer, I I I had said that he was really amoral, and that got a fierce objection from another actor who said he wasn't amoral; he just had a different moral code. So actually, it was getting fairly vigorous when I was called in here to the phone. Okay, okay. Uh, who else? Uh, do you think anyone else would like to talk to us, or should we close up? Uh well let let me see hold on let me give you let me give you the bill. Okay. One second let's see we this may be it for the night well, hold on one second please. All right. 
What was going on in Black Theater in 1898? I'm trying to see this. Well, actually, in 1898, the first first that we know of, and you always have to say that when you study history, because as soon as you say something very definite, especially about black history uh, on any level, but most especially about the theater, uh, you realize that uh, somebody may come up with some more information because our work is so under-researched for obvious reasons that you don't have time to go into here, neither do I. But basically, uh, you know, we're black people in a lot of this country, so our history is not studied. We hardly know it ourselves. Uh, but in 1898, to make it short, that would be the very beginning probably the first musical, uh, black musical shows to come on to uh, Broadway and 39th Street. Uh, and that would be then, but actually the black thing is much older than that, but it goes back to, in New York City anyway, at 1821, which is the African Grove Theater, which was all the way downtown uh, in, in the village. So the mm-hmm. black theater of the United States uh, that we know about is probably at least uh, 200 years old at this point. Okay. I only know about Paul Robinson. Well, Paul Robinson, that's, that, that, of course, is 1930s and 1940s, but the black theater mm-hmm. is a lot, lot, a lot older than that. I mean, uh, right. Ira Aldridge is, yeah, Ira Aldridge, I think when he was 15 years old, was in the African Grove Theater. Uh, and that was, the, that theater was started in 1821, uh, and he was in that theater, and then later on, and we're still, that's still in the 19th century, you know, he became this great Shakespearean actor, mostly in Europe, because, I mean, this was before slavery was abolished, but mostly in Europe. So, I mean, if we want to consider that black theater, too, that's how long black people have been doing theater. I mean, it's a long time. It's just that the history, I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because the history is like a lot of our histories about a lot of things like politics and reconstruction and a whole bunch of other things, but the theater too, it's not known. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. well, black people sort of don't have any history as far as the mainstream uh, is concerned. We kind of maybe got started in the civil rights movement. But right. anyway, uh, yeah, so yeah, we do have, it's a, it's well, a very... Well, I, I have history. to... I have to invite you back on so we can talk about your book in depth. That book oh, that sounds like it's extremely, yes, very educational. Um, and, and just before you leave, just to end on on your book, can you give us some mm-hmm. um, uh, some names? Um, you know, three of the, the oldest black actors. You know, um, that you you researched. Oh boy, that's uh, I'm I'm gonna what I'm doing. I think I may have a copy of it here, so I'll read the publisher's blurb, and maybe that'll be a okay. That's, that sounds okay. great. Would that that be sounds good? excellent. Hold okay, on, I think I got it. Uh, just one okay. second. I know you've got mm-hmm. a time thing because this is a radio program. This sort of tells you. I'll give you the. Whole title. It has a subtitle. It's called okay. Theorizing Black. It's called Theorizing Black Theater: Art mm-hmm. versus Protest in Critical Writings, 1898 to 1965. And this is the publisher's blurb on the back of the book. The rich history of African American theater 
has often been overlooked both in theoretical discourse and in practice. This volume seeks a critical engagement with black theater artists and theorists of the 20th century. It reveals a comprehensive view of the art or propaganda debate that dominated 20th century African-American dramatic theory. Among among others, this text addresses the writings of Langston Hughes, W.E.B. Du Bois, Elaine Locke, Lorraine Hansberry, Amiri Baraka, Adrian Kennedy, Sidney Poitier, and August Wilson. Of particular note, in the manner in which black theory collides or intersects with the canonical theorists, including Aristotle, Keats, Ibsen, Nietzsche, Shaw, and O'Neill. Henry Miller is a veteran of the 1960s and 70s black theater movement, a director and playwright. He has written numerous works about American theater, period. And that's wonderful. Yes, we have to have you back on uh, to tell us more about the book. Any, um, you mentioned some uh, play in California. Before you go, um, you know, tell us more about your upcoming events and and your aspirations and what you would like for us to support. Any other your books you want to do? Well, what? Uh, well, I just have this one book out so far, so let me just go to the plays. We're, what we are scheduled, I'm hoping we'll get up. I just, uh, I think I said I just finished directing uh, Fraternity by Jeff Stetson. And uh, the uh, two of the, or three of the main characters, it's, it's a play, I, I should tell you just a little bit about what it's about. It's a play about seven black men in a fraternity, really a kind of a special kind of upper scale black club who uh, all had all were involved in the Alabama bombing in 1963 of the, that killed those little girls and how it affected their lives. That incident, and I mean, it's fictionalized, but it's, it's, that incident is what inspired Jeff, I think, to write this piece. And it's about how it affected these guys' life. They're all very successful. Uh, but that incident uh, affected their lives. The play is taking place in 1987, and the incident uh, had happened in 1963. And one of the men is one of the seminal jazz musicians whose daughter was one of the little girls killed. And uh, so he has given up his music and everything, and now he just sort of teaches in college someplace and doesn't deal with his music because he's really been in mourning for all these many years for this little girl his daughter that was killed. That's one of the characters. So anyway, that is the show. Uh, again, I'll repeat it again. It's called Fraternity. If they have any records or if you're using it, The phone is doing something strange. Hello? Yes, I'm still here. Oh, okay. There was some kind of back... Yes, we have some sort of background noise. Last question. How did you um, manage to work with the Harlem's 21 playwrights, Playwright 21? Oh, I just, I'm a kind of a pretty new member of uh, the Harlem Playwrights. I was for uh, seven years in another uh, playwriting uh, organization, 
but um, I just kind of got involved with this uh, group. Uh, was I guess maybe it's just like uh, six months. I, mean, I think they're only a year old anyway. And, right. of course, I know, yeah, I've been doing this for so long in Harlem that I know a lot of the people that were in it, and I, I forget who it was who suggested it to me, but that's how I got involved. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, so um, it was nice talking to you. I hope to meet you guys in person. Uh, and, oh, that would be know, wonderful. And um, I will get your information when we uh, hang up from Mr. Bill Billsley, Beasley. Bill Beasley and we'll talk. Is there anyone else I should talk to? Say it again. Well, yeah, let me let me hand you over to the man who's orchestrating all of this, okay? Okay. How you doing, Black Lady? Bill Beasley again. Okay, everything's going great. You got a nice group of people. Yeah, and like I said, this is only a handful tonight. Again, as I mentioned tonight, by email, many of us are working in the theater, so they're not always available to come on Friday night, so... We do what we can with who's, with who's here, you know? <laughs> right, right. But, okay. So, uh, All right. Well, I had a great time. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad. Hopefully it was a very good show, and uh, we will be talking about future shows. <laughs> right. And just give everybody okay. the information to your play about your play on Monday. Okay. Well, again, it's at the National Black Theater, 125th uh, and 5th Avenue in Harlem. It starts at 7.30, and my play is Every Vote Counts. Hope to see you there, weather permitting, and that's it. All right. Well, thanks, uh, fellas, and I enjoyed it, and good luck, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of your work in production. Thank you. All right. All right, Leslie. Bye-bye.